So welcome to the podcast, Jonathan Smart Smarty. How is it going? You're yeah, good? all is good, guys. Yeah, all is well. Thank you, you guys. Superb. Yeah, really good here. Thank you. Really good. Obviously, we were just in Bermuda doing this podcast. You were here, obviously, a couple of weeks ago. The weather is still good here. Just confirming. Obviously, you're back in Manchester. Yeah. The weather is still okay. <laughs> Don't really <laughs> <it here. laughs> Nathan, thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us. Obviously, look, it's US Masters Week. We wanted to talk about, obviously, you know, the, probably the, I think the highlights for every pro golfer playing the US Masters, and obviously you've had the fortunate position with what you did in 2016. But what what we want to ask first of all before we get into the US Masters, what got you into caddying, and what's the best part of it? I'm always fascinated. Um, probably the answer is kind of the same to both in a way. So, um, I think I, I used to play and I tried, you know, turn pro and play Jura Pro and things like that. Um, and I was quite fortunate. I was I was friends with Dan and other guys that are on tour now. Um, so I was around a lot of good golfers. Um, had kind of two or three years trying to play and just not getting the results. Um, and it was getting to the point where my golf was was not at a point where I was kind of falling out of love with the sport. And I actually, I really love the sport, but my golf was driving me to, to kind of fall out of love with it. Um, so yeah, the caddying was basically my way of staying in the sport. Um, and obviously you, you kind of, you get to experience the pressure you get, you know, you're right there. You're just not doing it yourself. So it's kind of about as close as you can get to doing it without <laughs> playing yourself. So it's kind of the best. You talk about what's the best thing. Is it? Is exactly that. You you still get to feel some of that pressure and and experience some um, some amazing things in the sport at the highest level, um, which is which is obviously amazing to be around. Yeah, I mean the highs and lows for you as a caddy, I can imagine are almost as high as what the players got. Anyway, you're right in there in that moment, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I guess we're. <laughs> We're the people out there that um, we're the only other ones out there that want them to do as well as they do, <laughs> you know. So, so you live you live all the emotions uh, as much as they do at times. Obviously, our jobs to stay a lot more level headed and, <laughs> and things like that, and try and help when they're they're kind of on a roller coaster, if you like. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's you know again, it's it's one of the best things about it is you get to feel those emotions because uh, you're right there with them. And how did you? How did the the gig with Danny come about? How did that all sort of uh, happen? Yeah, that was. Um, I, didn't, I mean, I'd been caddying probably three three and a half years or so before I'd started working for Dan. Um, and he was going through a period where he was, he was looking to change it up. Um, I think it was just after Wales. I think he gave me the call and obviously we, we play a lot of golf away from tournaments together and things like that. Um, and then he, he gave me a call and he said, do you fancy, fancy um, doing a couple of weeks and seeing if it's going to work? Which is which I think is the same for most guys. You start off with a, a bit of a trial and, and just see if it's, you know, if it's something that's likely to, to work. Um, and then, yeah, we, we started in Switzerland and yeah, it kind of, gradually snowballed from there and, and it, we had a quite a nice run for three and a half years. It, it's interesting, I mean, like you say, you're on trial for two weeks. I mean, that's quite high pressure on yourself, isn't it? So your job is, do you, do you find, whether it's consciously or not, that you're behaving differently in those first two weeks? 
Yeah, I mean, I say I say you're on trial for two weeks. You're effectively on trial <laughs> every week. You know, there's yeah, no, you know, well, there's no contracts in our, our job or anything like that. But um, I think that's probably a good thing for both sides because you, you you're constantly under pressure and you you're thriving to be at the top of top of your game and and pushing as hard as you can. Um, but obviously, those first few weeks, yeah, you, you you're just trying to um, figure out what those what the player wants because uh, each player wants a different thing and uh, you find out what the personalities are what they want under pressure and different situations and things like that what they're going to react to and you, you you know you're really trying to find find your feet a little bit and you probably know within a couple of weeks maybe a bit longer if it's if you may be a good match you know in my, in my opinion it's it's hard to say there's a caddy that could work great for everyone I think you know there's there's people that work well together and people that might struggle to work well together um and i think some some work together easier than others yeah and i suppose it's a, it's a relationship at the end of the day isn't it so it needs to work like that but a lot of things bar just being good at your job need to be in place for it to be to, for it to work i suppose yeah there's, there's there's so much that goes into it i mean there's obviously the the basic side of you know getting your numbers and club selection and, and strategy and everything like that but then there's a lot of time in between shots and, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's the, you know, you spend a hell of a lot of time together. So um, that that's obviously a massive part of it as well. Okay, let's, let's, let's get into, I suppose, let's get into the Masters. It's Masters week this week. It's weird that it's in November. It's going to potentially play a little bit differently. Um, what is it that, um, what is it that you need to do in order to sort of, compete and win at the Masters and what was your strategy like that week in 2016 with Danny in order to um, I suppose to to do what you did yeah I think I know I've said I've said this a few times a few people we got quite lucky that week in the sense that Dan, Dan had just had Zach his first his first child and he didn't arrive till Monday and um, he didn't get to the course till Tuesday so we had two days to prep for the for the masters well if you said that to most people you'd go, well that's, that's not enough time well we'd been there the year before we had a couple of practice rounds so we kind of really um structured his practice really well we didn't do too much we just did what we thought we needed so we kind of did a lot of work on pitching numbers for par fives if we had to lay up if we weren't able to go for it um and then we just went and played nine holes each day and just kind of structured the practice to what we thought we needed for that week. Um, and we did a lot of pace putting, a lot of putting inside six, seven feet. Um, but yeah, it kind of it kind of helped in a way because the facilities at Augusta are just outrageously good. And, you know, these guys have been out on tour for ages. You can still get caught up and start practicing a bit too much. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get Thursday and, and you think, well, I'm a bit, bit more tired than maybe I, I should be. Um, and it's hard. It's hard not to do that little bit extra when it's a major, and especially at the Masters. So that's that's. I think that week was a blessing in disguise. Is that we only had two days to kind of get prepped. Yeah, I suppose you weren't over over prepared. You didn't have too much time to sort of let it build up and think about it. Danny's probably preoccupied with his his little boy. Um, exactly. So much other stuff going on off the golf course that it was like. Low expectations, maybe. I'm not even sure. Did he was he going there thinking, right? Come on, let's win this. Does he think about that all the time, or what was his mindset? 
Yeah, I think I think you struggle at that level. I think you struggle to find many guys that aren't there and, and thinking, well, let's go and try and win. Um, but I think obviously that week more than ever, probably he's got a lot of the things going through his mind, and he's just walking around the range in the practice area and playing practice rounds, and he's probably just think, I'm a dad, and he's probably really <laughs> proud, and you yeah. know, there's a lot of really good thoughts going through your head that you know maybe you, on a Wednesday if you're not hitting some of the shots you want, you start overanalyzing and panicking or whatever it might be, going to try and make some changes, he's probably, he might hit a bad, a bad shot and it might just bounce off him, whereas other weeks he might overthink that a little bit. Um, so I think, yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of things that came into it um, in that build-up. Yeah, and it's interesting that you're talking about that as well because I know obviously it, came, it very much came into it on the last round, but for Danny... We've spoke to him about this before, and he just seems to love being in contention. So when and when he is in contention, obviously he seems to perform really well. He doesn't seem to. You know, I can't remember him ever blowing a tournament. No. I can, you know, when he's up there, it's literally like he's probably going to win. So, yeah. do you, is the birth of Zach? Did that? Do you think inspire him and give him even more confidence? Do you think or not? Or was it just literally the fact that he was just pretty chilled and it was like, as Andy said, low expectations? Yeah, I think it, it probably it probably gave him a little bit more calmness. You know, as I said, there's no panicking on a Wednesday or stressing where, you know, every guy there is trying to peak at the right time. Every guy wants their game in the best place it can be before they tee up on a Thursday. And I think, you know, to your point is, yeah, there was probably a calmness and... Um, about him kind of Thursday to Sunday um, still wanting to win and still had that intensity but there was probably a calmness about bad shots or things not quite going his way that he could let go because there was other good things in his, his life going on and maybe that kind of helped those situations but yeah I mean Dan had uh, unbelievable natural abilities you've seen in, in his career that you get him under pressure or in contention and he, he knows exactly what to do yeah. Um he made thing he makes things very, very simple and and yeah, he's got a, a good way of kind of getting over the line. Um but in that build up to it, yeah, I'm sure everything that was going on off the course, I'm sure kind of helped, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe not sustainable over a long period of time now, but it's, it's it, like you say, the perfect timing. It was almost like the perfect storm, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And just so I mean, obviously it was an amazing last round, final round. And I'm always interested in this as well. When you're obviously Jordan Spieth looking to repeat and obviously he's in a good, strong position. I, so my first question is, are you aware and do you speak about other players? And then second question, what was the game plan going into the last round? Um, we, as we were going into the last round, uh, we, were, we were on the rain on Saturday. And... Was he playing against the best players in the world? They're not going to give you much. Mm. Even when they, they might make some mistakes, but the, overall, they're not giving you much. You've got to go and take it, if you like. Um, so we were having a bit of a chat, and we just said, like, on a Sunday, we, we've all watched it over the years, and there's some, there's some pin positions where you can, you can get it on a little bit of a run. You know, it's in the bowl on seven, so you feel like you get a good drive away there, you should have a good chance. Par fives, if you're going to have your day, you'd like to think you're going to, you know, play those in three under. Um, and there's a few chances. So we were just discussing on the range, just go, go and have a go. 
Um, and you, you know, you need a few breaks and you need, a, you know, for momentum and things like that. But you know, it's, a lot of it's outside your control. You just got to go and and hope you have your day and and kind of do the things. You're not going to try and change anything. You know, the strategy is very similar um, because there's there's flags at Augusta that you can be aggressive to um, and not. So I think, yeah, we, we definitely discussed it on Saturday um, on how we're kind of going to approach it, if you like. Um, so yeah. So question on this then as well. Uh, Smarty, is that do you ever like, and this might be not necessarily just the Masters, it might be other tournaments as well. Do you ever get out there and go, right, we need to shoot a 66 today, or we need to shoot a 64, whatever it might be, or do you just go out there and just go, well, let's just see what happens? You know, do you ever have those conversations? Because I, I know I'm thinking of trying to relate this as well back to some amateur golfers where they sometimes get so fixed up on the end result and they're going, right, I need to shoot a a, um, a 78 a day or something or whatever it might be yeah. instead of just going out playing the hole and just just taking it as it comes yeah I think they're honestly some of the toughest weeks on tour is is you know when the scoring's really low and say you I don't know you're off on Friday afternoon and everyone's you feel like if you're not shooting four or five under you're moving backwards on the leaderboard I always find that I think that's quite a tough mentality to deal with stood on that first tee because you, it's hard not to get carried away with that that score and thinking, well, well, if I'm not two under through the first five, I'm moving backwards. Um, so it's you've got you kind of got to forget it. And, you know, I know it sounds boring, but you've got to keep doing that, the same stuff and just trying to be patient. Uh, but on those weeks, it's I think it's almost easier on the weeks where maybe 10 to 12 unders winning because you know five unders is a great score. Whereas the weeks where twenty something's under is winning, five under you feel well, I've got to, I should be doing that, and that's yeah. a just that slight change in mentality kind of makes things a bit harder, really. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I suppose your job as well is your job, as you mentioned earlier, it's not just about sort of the standard stuff with the strategy and club selection. You know, you're basically their psychologist as well, helping around the golf course and trying to manage their state and pick them up at the right spots. Um, what what was Danny like in terms of from emotional emotionally on that last day, and do you have any things that you would discuss with him or strategies that you would go, or did you just sort of feed off his energy and you understood him? What, or was there anything planned basically? Um, no, I wouldn't say it was planned, but I think it was more. Obviously, we'd spent a lot of time together. We'd have been in similar positions before, and you know, it's funny. It's a huge, obviously, a huge event. And it's the Masters. But ultimately, when you get to the ball, you're still doing the same. It's still a golf shot. So we're going through the same processes. And all we were trying to do, without saying it, because a lot of, like me and Dan, whenever we were in contention, we hardly spoke. So all we do is just focus on basically the shots. Might have a little bit of a chat, but not, you know, we didn't want to be wasting energy on daft stuff. Whereas sometimes like that, for another player, that might really work, you know, just, Having that chat in between shots and just calming them down, that might really benefit. But for for us, it was a bit different. It was quite quiet and business like if you if you if you can say that, you know, when we got in contention, it was definitely just all about processes, going through everything the same as as we always would. We basically changed nothing. We tried to do more of the simple stuff well. 
if that makes sense. And what would you, and what would, just interesting, that sort of, you know, we talk about golf and, you know, amateur golf, it's 85% of the time is spent not playing shots. It's probably longer than that on the PGA Tour. Or yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Beyond the Sunday. What are you thinking about or doing in that time when you're both being silent? I mean, does Danny ever talk about what he's thinking about or do you like think to each other, why the hell is he not talking to me? <laughs> no, I think, I think if it had been our first few weeks, maybe, I, I think I'd have been like, well, you know, we're a bit quiet here, should, should yeah. we be talking? Talk and things like that. Yeah, I think we were quite fortunate that we'd been together a while and we knew that's kind of what worked best for us. You know, we've got the best, you know, I know Jordan had a, a bad all on 12 and everything like that, but um, <laughs> we've still got the best players in the world chasing us and they, they can make four birdies in the last five, no problem. These are the be- these guys are the best players in the world. So, I can't, the only thing we kind of spoke about was like, listen, we need to carry on being aggressive. Yeah, they're, they're not going to give us this. They're not just going to go. Okay, you have it now. You know, it's it's like we've still got to go and make some birdies or try and at least be aggressive um, because you you don't know what you know you know what these guys are capable of. So you got to keep pushing. So how how aware are you of the scores then at this point? Are you when you with Danny? Is this something that you look at all the time? I do, yeah. Um, Dan, Dan, I think he he would have watched the scoreboards quite a bit. And the odd time, you know, you talk about what you're talking about between shots is maybe there'd be a few times where, say, you got five left and you're in contention. But at the Masters, I know, I know, kind of around fourteen, fifteen, we were like, right, let's just keep pushing, let's keep pushing, because we had no idea what Jordan was doing at this point. Yeah. It wasn't until we walked off fifteen that we knew. Uh, obviously what had happened on 12 so we're just thinking you know come on let's keep pushing I remember walking off 15 just as he missed the putt he's like oh, that were a chance missed so we're thinking we've you know we've really missed a chance and then obviously you get just about to get to 16T and then you see what's happened so th- there's those little conversations you're like come on let's keep pushing let's keep pushing so whereas other weeks you might be thinking oh let's just stay patient he's, he's just you're just kind of adapting to to where you are. Um, and I think this is the, the tough thing with carrying is each player's got a different way they'll react to stuff. Um, some players will they'll need that, right, let's push and be aggressive and things. And others will need that, you know, as I've said before, just a bit of a chatting and a really relaxing sort of uh, scenario. Do you know what's interesting? Because one of the things that we always say to a lot of our clients, students, uh, members of the website is that we always say that we recommend that you are your own caddy. Obviously, they haven't got the privilege of having caddies like you. And if you're your own caddy, I mean, the listeners here to this, they should be having good words with themselves, like stay patient, come on, keep pushing, whatever it is, instead of the negative chatter that they're often having in their own brain. And it's something that I think if they can be aware of the self-talk on the course, and even the pros will be doing this as well, and that's what your job is up for as well, to to maybe switch their focus into more of a, right, come on, keep pushing. You know, you're trying to change their their mindset, whereas the amateur golfers haven't got anybody doing that for them. So the listeners to this are out there on their own. It's like, well, if they can imagine that they're going to be their own caddy speaking to themselves, they can sort of say these things to themselves, but it takes a bit of training. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I know when I play now, it's, it's funny. As soon as that grip touches my hand, <laughs> it's like the clarity and the emotion that rushes through you. It's funny, you know, I, I don't play that much anymore. And I'm, 
stood in the middle of a fairway with a four iron to a back right flag. And I'm thinking I can stand there and hit high fades. <laughs> and like, you know, you just, it's amazing how complicated and like you say, some of the negative thoughts that can go through your head. And I think what, what I noticed early on in caddying is, is how much clearer um, you, can, you can kind of see the game. Um, you hope that you obviously you can do that under pressure when you need to fit for whoever you're working for. But you don't seem to think about the daft stuff as much. Yeah. Um, I think when that grip goes in your own hand, your own hand, and this is what the best players in the world do, they, you know, they manage to clear the head and, and focus on exactly what they need to. Uh, Dan was unbelievable at that. Um, and it's, it's really trying to, I don't, I don't think you can think of nothing. You know, I, I think some people talk about, oh, just, just think of nothing and just hit your shot. So I think you need a plan. You just need a plan for what you're doing. And if you have a plan and a process, hopefully if you're working through that, that doesn't give you any time to think about all the negative stuff that could could be rushing in there. Um, and I think a lot of amateur golfers, maybe you don't see many routines and things like that. You, yeah. they're, just, they're just hitting the shot and then reacting straight away to that shot. And after the shot, maybe they don't deal with it great. And then they can carry it on and carry it on to those next few shots. Whereas the top guys, whether it's missing a putt or hitting a bad drive, amount of times you know they've they've missed a shot and they stand on the next tee and just smoke it straight down the middle as if you know that that, that never even happened. Whereas you know you see it plenty of times in amateur golf where it's it's taken straight onto that next tee. So I think the good thing about that is for the listeners is that as you mentioned, they've got something to go back to. You know these pros have have, have got they've made they've made bogey or double or whatever. But straight away, they're going back to a process, back to a routine to go, right, okay, come on, let's get back into it. I've got this shot to hit. I've got a plan on this shot. Whereas, as you mentioned there, majority of amateurs have just made double. They go into the next tee, often with no plan, often with no process. So they're still thinking about actually what's going on on there. I think that's a great take home. Just And we yeah. see it all the time, Pierce, don't we, that when we go to the golf courses, they're lacking the process that really allows them to focus their attention on that, which removes them from the other stuff that's going on really. So what, yeah, what was the pivotal moment for you, for you guys then? Where did you, I mean, I remember it clearly. I mean, one of the moments for me that I remember that I think was just amazing was the up and down on 17. Yeah. Because um, it, it was a tough up and down, wasn't it? Yeah, I kind of said it a few times to, to people. It's like, you know, we, we were kind of just up against the collar on the fairway on 17. And it can just have to turn it around those those trees on the left. And he just overdid it a little bit, kind of pitched middle of the green and run off the back edge. And I'm thinking, well, the only place we couldn't miss that was short and maybe short right. So we're long left. So I'm thinking, well, that's not, not too bad. And I got up there and I'm thinking, well, listen, no, this, it's not that bad. It's got plenty of green to work with. <laughs> and I, I've said it before. I don't know if I was caught up in the situation, what, but I was like, right, we've got loads of green to work with. Come on, let's go. And then... He's played his shot, and it's just as he's working over the ridge. Wow. That's a bit quicker than I thought. <laughs> and it's not until you watch it back and see it, you're like, wow, yeah, that was some touch there under those in, in that scenario. But at that moment in time, honestly, I can, honestly, I'm thinking, well, you know, this is, this is great. We've got loads of green to work with. It's been a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> But that's good. I mean, it, it, obviously, you probably had that communication with Danny, and that probably made it a little bit easier in his mind as well, didn't it? 
Yeah, if you'd, have, yeah, if you'd have walked up there saying, this is a tough one, Danny, I like your, I like your chances on this one. He might have felt, yeah. might have felt differently. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, like, if you, you know, that pin back right on 17, if you go long, I mean, you, you, you're dead. If you walk off with a bogey, great. So I'm stood there thinking, well, this is this is not somewhere I've got a big, big red X in my box. So, uh, in my book, sorry. So, um, something, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> what's the big deal? <laughs> but obviously, lead, leading the Masters, lightning fast greens over a little ridge and then sticking it to two feet or wherever it was, it was, it was unbelievable touch there. And just a quick one on that as well. Obviously, you mentioned the only place you couldn't miss it was sort of front right, really. That would have been in your plan on that shot. You're going, right, I know, I know that you can't miss this front right. So the club selection, the shot selection would have been everything to avoid missing it in the place that you don't want to miss it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, we try and word it in a way that, you know, obviously we can't miss this shot, right? It's, it's not the sort of thing I'm going to be saying, but we're going to be saying, right, so we're going at the flag, maybe just left of it. And if it turns over a bit more, it's fine. Basically, that's a similar sort of yeah. conversation we might be having. Um, all those chats about where we can and can't beat certain pins are more than likely done in the practice rounds. Um, but yeah, so that front bunker is a real tough shot to that flag and, and sure, right, it's no good. Yeah. You so mentioned, we're having that. You mentioned a, well, actually, I'll just go back. Do you feel that was the pivotal moment for you, like that up and down, or was it before that? Uh, I'd, I'd say I'd say 16 T-shot. Um, I mean, we, you talk about a process there. So we, we talked about where we want to start it and where we want to come down. And then, well, before that, we're talking about play number. So then it's, once we've got his play number, it was just a real solid eight iron. And it was starting, visually, I can see it, but like starting it on this tree and coming down where we picked another spot. And this thing did exactly that. And I thought, that's a really positive golf shot. He wasn't shying away from anything. That was exactly the shot we've, and I thought, when he hit that shot, I thought, yeah, if, if he fancies it, I mean, obviously you don't know what's going to happen. You still got three holes to go, but that that for me was a was a big moment. And then to roll the putt in there was yeah. was huge. I mean, especially as your whole day had been about chasing, and then suddenly you're walking off that 15th green, going, "Hang on a bit, we're in the lead." <laughs> you know, yeah. now it becomes a little bit more. Oh, okay, <laughs> it's ours now if we want it. And then yeah, exactly. And that, off, yeah. yeah. Exactly that 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 kind of change in mindset is, um, you know, he was in the lead, but he's just hit a golf shot as if he was two behind. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was an aggressive iron shot. Um, obviously, we all know you can work it in off that bank from the middle of the green, but you still got to stand up and hit it. And yeah. you know, it was it was really positive. So I thought that was good because, like you say, there was a, there was a definite switch in mindset, if you like. Wasn't as good as uh, John Rahm's though. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there'll be many as good as that over the years. I was like, this isn't real. Somebody spanked this. <laughs> well, sometimes you see it to kind of that middle left flag or front left flag. I think VJ did it one year, but not a back left flag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> VJ did it, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, that was insane. Just interested listening to this, certain things going off in my mind. I think sort of more for the viewers that they can take. And I think this this is sort of, I suppose how important language is, and the, what you know, the, the what you say, and and I think what you what you were talking about earlier there was about, you know, when you when you're in the process, when you you 
you decided on what, on what you want, you're absolutely clear on the shot. So you're going, right, I want the ball to start at this point. I want to turn it over. I want it finishing here. So, and I think this is what, again, a lot of amateurs miss out on, stepping onto the tee. You mentioned sort of talking about where you don't want to miss it. First of all, recognising where they, where they don't want to be, I think is a key thing. But then being absolutely clear on what is it that I want here? Where do I want the ball to start? How do I want it to fly? Where do I want it to land? What club's going to enable me to do that? I think a lot of amateurs just miss out on being totally clear on, okay, this is what I want here. And they're just, they're just so, um, I suppose, open to anything happening. But the, the lack of clarity stops them from actually getting what they want. 100%. I think, you know, another thing is, it's like pitching number. Like you see a lot of amateurs. So, so say they've got, I don't know, let's go 190 to the flag. So they think that's 190 yards, and, and it is. But all of a sudden, if the greens are firm, you know, the pins at the back, are you actually always trying to, are you trying to get it right back to the flag or are you trying to leave it five short? If you're trying to leave it five short, now you're pitching it maybe 180 max if the greens are firm. So all of a sudden, you're not hitting a, 180, you're not hitting a 190 shot, you're in a 180 shot. And then you've still got, now you've got to think about wind. So if it's downwind, all of a sudden, you might be at a 170-yard shot. I think just small little things like, you know, I, I keep going on about it, it's boring, but th that process, if you can just have a clear process, you can, you can eradicate quite a few mistakes. And, and that's nothing to do with how you swing it, how you strike it, anything like that. It's just, you might put better swings on it just from having a clear picture of what you're trying to do. Yeah. I've got a question for you here. We often talk about this ourselves. If you had a, the average 18 handicap who's shooting 90, and you caddied for him or her, how many shots do you think that you could save them in a round of golf? Oh, that's a tough one. Someone would say, some might say I'd put them on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah, I think, I'd like to think three or four. I'd, I think, and I it's think not done in full. You're being conservative there. Come on. on, you're selling yourself short. Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> but it's, it's not done in full shots. I think, it's done in quarter of a shot. You yeah. know, it's, it's the small things over and over again, the basic stuff, just being, you know, doing the simple things well. I'd like to think over the course of the round, we could, we could save three or four shots. And three or four shots is a, is a hell of a lot. And then, you know, if they have the day and a few puts roll in and things like that, it might be more. But that's, that's all, that, obviously a lot of that's down to the player. Um, but I think, if you can just do those basic and simple things well, you can gradually creep those those scores down. And it's not, you know, it's it's nothing spectacular. It's it's just real simple stuff and understanding your own game. And um, I think that's that that's the toughest thing for amateurs is is understanding their game and how a golf hole sets up for their game. Not not the guy who's teeing up at the side of it, who might hit a draw and you might hit a fade. Well, he might have a hole that really suits him and you it might not suit you, but two holes later, there's one that really suits you and not him. So just taking your opportunities that kind of fit fit your game, it's a very, very hard thing to do is, is being honest about where you're at and where your strengths are, playing to your strengths and not avoiding your weaknesses, but making a plan that kind of brings that all into play sort of thing. Well, you're absolutely right. When you talk about avoiding weaknesses, you're talking about maybe not short-siding themselves, maybe not hitting a, a layup shot too close. 
you know, just understanding their own game. I think what you said there was brilliant, understanding their own game, their own clarity. And, all, and almost, and I think the best players are really good at this, understanding their limitations so they know what they can do and what they can't do. And knowing what you can't do is actually just as much, uh, as much power in that as actually not knowing what you can do. I, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's so, so many people, I'm sure, each week that play and say you're playing with someone new and he, he hits it a long way and, and you start trying to chase that. And all of a sudden, if you'd have just stuck to what you did, you, you might still beat him. The fact that he just hits it a bit further or he, she hits it a bit further, you know, so, so what? Or they might be a better putter or, you know, you look each week at the stats. Every week, it's like a different makeup of a winner. Everyone thinks at the minute it's all about distance. And there's a big help of distance and things like that. But Jason Crocrack won the other week and he was plus 10 in putting for the week. He was 31st in driving. And then you go another week and it's someone who's number one in driving and third in approach play and might be 30th in putting and they can still win. So I think there's lots of ways of shooting a good score at this game. And I think as soon as you understand your best way of doing it, I think that's it. That can just save you, save, save you shots straight away. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Hi everyone, Andy here. Just letting you know about something that we've created just for you. MeAndMyGolf.com is our membership platform that we believe is the best resource out there to improve your golf. And one of the questions that we get asked all the time is what's the difference between YouTube and the website? And the main difference being is that sometimes people can get lost in content on YouTube and not really having a clear structure or plan of where to go. So we wanted to create something that was, was really going to help golfers. We've got over a thousand uh, coaching videos on there, but our main thing or main feature on there are the coaching plans. And we've seen some amazing results from these plans. And these are basically carefully designed plans on all areas of the game so you don't have to think or worry about what to do. We tell you exactly what to practice each week and whether you're looking to break a certain score, fix a slice, improve your putting or short game, we have a plan that will suit you. We're even staggered at some of the results that golfers are getting from these as well and we even have a private Facebook group where all of our members go and share experiences and support each other. Real nice place, positive place to be. And we'd love to see you over there and have the chance to help you with your game so make sure you head over to meandmygolf.com and check out your free trial with no obligations to join check it out and see if you can find a plan and become a part of this amazing community i've got a few more questions about the masters as well because i think it's, it's again obviously people are going to just love this stuff especially with the experience that you've got and the you know the the, the knowledge you've got of it so what what's i suppose my first question is what's the hardest part of playing the masters I think a lot of people think obviously about the greens and the speed of them and I'm probably you might even say it is that but what is the hardest yeah I think um as I briefly touched on there's a there's a lot of pins you can make birdies to yeah and there's a lot of very tough pins like the yeah. the sixth the par three down the hill there's that little plateau up top and it's nightmare isn't it that one so, yeah it's <laughs> it's maybe six yards by six yards but it's from an elevated tee usually plays in a crosswind you know the precision to land that ball where you want and the penalty for not landing it on that plateau yeah. is quite big. So it's, you, you know, I, th I think they touch on it all the time. The approach play is, um, is such a huge, uh, huge part for, for the masters. I don't think you see many winners that are just average approach players because you just can't get close enough to the flags if you, if you're not. And, you know, with the undulations and the green, all of a sudden, keeping three puts off your card 
it, it becomes really hard work. Um, so yeah, I think for, for me, it's pace putting um, and a, approach play would be the top two things I'd be kind of focusing on. Um, but then it's it's not an easy driving course as well. Like you know, mm-hmm. you, you, it, it, everyone thinks oh, there's no rough, so it, it must be quite easy to drive it around there. There's still quite a lot of really strong tee shots. You know, I mean, eleven such a strong tee shot. Seven, you know, you miss that fairway. You you're generally not in a great great spot. You're playing for those right. front bunkers the best. Yeah, you know. So, um, but I think the two areas I'd really focus on is is kind of pace putting. And an approach play, I think, is if you, if you're high up in those two categories, you, you should have a decent chance. Yeah, and you alluded to that earlier, obviously, with the training and the the prep that you did with Danny, a lot of pace putting, obviously practicing the short putts, yes, but but knowing your yardages into the greens, if you couldn't make the par fives, and that's something I've heard that you actually worked at, and you you worked out the yardage, and it kind of again, I think this is great for any amateurs listening on this. So, like, basically, on holes like 13, 15, the second. You know, you think about those pitch shots. I mean, the three of us, if we were playing pitch shots into those with the wrong number, I'm not fancying that too much. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be on 15. Well, I'd be saying, which water do you want me to put it in? (laughs) (laughs) What what do you... So what was your strategy on that then? Just so you can give the listeners a bit of an idea. So you've obviously planned it out. I know you've got your uh, course planner there for the last round. Yeah. what, What were the yardages you were looking at if you were missing those greens? in under regulation uh yeah so the 15th for example um that's i think you kind of ask the player early on um what they like visually because to a left flag i think from the right side is a lot easier you can feel like you can almost skip it down the green a little bit yeah um because it's such a small area the only thing is with the right side of that fairway it's just a, a bit more of a down slope um then to different flags you know, down that left side. And it was always averaging about, we wanted to leave like 80 to 90 yards down that hole. Then 13 is quite interesting because there's a, there's a real back left flag there. And if you can't go for the green, you're better to kind of get it up by the 14th tee so you can kind of chip up the green sort of thing. But it's still a 50-yard pitch. Um, so we were working a lot of a lot of things, kind of fifty-five yards to hundred yards, um, because two's two's the same. If you can't reach that green, you generally got that sort of distance in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of kind of fifty-five to hundred-yard shots, um, plenty of approach play, um, and just like I said, just keeping it quite simple and just just getting really dialed in in those areas that we thought uh, we were going to we were going to need really. The last thing you wanted is a 30, 40 yard pitch into those some of those greens because it's just, you know, no, yeah, it's not even yeah. sharp and all those sort of bad things. Yeah, exactly. But what else? What other sort of numbers would you be practicing going into greens? So if you if you knew that, what sort of yardage gaps were you looking at when you're on the range? Yeah, so obviously you keep the par threes in mind a little bit. Um, so you, you seem to use a lot of kind of between eight. Eight and well, nine, eight, seven, six irons. Um, you know, so it's been so well thought out the, the range and everything. Um, so we did a, a lot of kind of that distance stuff. Um, this is slightly before we were using Trackman tests and things like that. So it was just more as setting up little games and um, trying lots of different shots. Um, and, and you just 
really trying to imagine the shots you can have out there. Um, so we did we did lots on that sort of stuff. Cool, Andy. I think we've got some. Should we do some quick fire questions? Quick fire questions. Okay. And then we'll ask him. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on. What's going next? Okay. First one. Who's going to win this year? Oh. <laughs> and actually, quick one before we ask this: Is the no fans going to influence the results? Do you think that plays a part? So two two slight questions there. Uh, yes, I think it plays a part. Uh, uh, yeah, a, a little bit. I think it takes a lot away of the excitement because I think some of the roles and everything like that that you associate, I, yeah, does it play a part? You've obviously won this year with Rasmus as one. Do you feel like your heart rate is elevated as much as you would be winning a tournament with other players, Lucas or Danny? Yeah, I think you still feel the pressure. You still Because obviously all you're ultimately trying to do is win. And I think when you're in contention, I think sometimes it's easy to forget the fans are there. But equally, when it is going well and they're on your side, I can see why some of the, you know, Rory and Tiger, and they love having the fans there because... Yeah. The generally cheering them. It must be such a great feeling all the time. Every week you turn up. Yeah, but then again, does it does it affect the outcome? I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure because you still feel that pressure. I mean, when we we were at the Belfry and the, there was no one there, and yeah, I mean, we were still. Yeah, I guess there's still that a massive amount of pressure associated with it. I just think it takes a lot of the maybe extra excitement away not having fans there. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you can see a lot more emotion from players when the fans are there. Because they're reacting to to kind of the the vibe they're giving off, if you like. It's interesting you say that because Rasmus was obviously pumped up on that 18th tee. Because there's no way that ball should have gone that far, surely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> that went. Uh, look, luckily, it struck that well. Yeah, it just kind of come out a bit further left than we wanted. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad he does it. What was your carry on that line? It was, I think it was like uh, with rescue. What was it meters? It was like two forty-five meters or something like that. It's like yeah. So yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's a weird. <laughs> What's that? Sorry, like a two seventy-yard carry hybrid. Then <laughs> that's pretty decent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He pulled his. Well, he did it just as far on the seventeenth hole before as well. But uh, yeah, these these guys these days, it's uh, the numbers. Yeah, they're getting more and more staggering. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, you know what? I, lo- I, lo- I love these quick fire rounds. We always get through them fast. <laughs> the, <laughs> who's going to win? Who's the, 20, who's the 2020 winner? Give us your, give us your thoughts. I'm, ge- I'm going with Rory. Rory, yeah? Okay, good. Good choice. Like it. Okay, hardest hole. Actually, no, sorry. Favourite hole and why? At the Masters, yeah? Yeah. Favourite hole at the Masters and why? Uh, Favourite hole would be the seventh. The seventh, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it can. It provides a lot of excitement. It comes at a great time. It just comes at a time where you can really get your round going, especially on the last day when they have it in that bowl. And I think if you can stand there and get that right, I think that can set your whole round up. I don't know what it is about that hole, but I feel like that. It's it's not maybe one that everyone would pick, but I think that's uh, that's one that can really kind of get your round going. Yeah, and you've got a par five to follow then, haven't you? So there's a good yeah. opportunity after that. So I'm just looking at his last round, actually. Did he birdie that one or seven? No, he actually parted. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hardest hole at Augusta? Four. Four. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, don't, it's, it's, it's a weird one. I don't think it gets enough attention. Um, I mean, it's like a... A front nine doesn't, though, does it, really? It doesn't get that no. much attention. Eight and nine, yeah. and two and six, maybe, but... 
it's a three or four iron, you know, from an elevated tee to, yeah, it might look a bit green on TV, but the areas you're trying to land it in aren't that big. And yeah, that's a really tough hole, especially wind-wise. It's it's tough to, it, it swirls around there. Yeah, that's by far, if, if we could just walk off the third into the fifth tee, I'd take that. <laughs> just skip one out. Yeah. Okay, best round you've seen in person? Uh, Jason Day, last year at Augusta. Um, we played with him. I don't know exactly what his shot. I think it was six. I'm going to say six, seven under, and he shouldn't have been a shot worse than ten under. Wow. He should not have been worse than ten under. Um, and that, I'd say that's right up there. Yeah, we played yeah. with him and Bubba last year in the last round, and that was yeah, that was very very impressive. Brilliant. Okay, is the par three course hard? <laughs> have you played the par three? No. No, um, and I never caddy in it, so it's always, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've only seen a few holes, but, yeah, I mean, it looks it looks immense. It looks just as good as the real course. <laughs> Could go around that all day, I think. Yeah, it's impressive, isn't it? Good fun as well. Okay, final one. Hardest putter, hardest green to read at the uh, Augusta? Uh, fifth. Fifth, yeah. Fifth. So, like, once you get over that big ridge at the front, it does some it does some weird things to where they have the pin positions when it's back left. Uh, it can be a bit awkward, and then when it's on that front knuckle, um, yeah, it's it sometimes looks obvious, but it's yeah, it's quite subtle. Uh, everything breaks towards Ray's Creek, and it kind of it makes a few few puts do some funny things. Awesome. Brilliant, that's awesome. Okay, that's the quick fire done. We got through it in about half an hour, <laughs> as, you, as always. Um, <laughs> You know what, I mean, obviously, a couple more things on this, really. But, I mean, I think, you know, you've been greatly time. Thank you so much. But definitely want to talk about, obviously, the guy that you're working for, caddying for right now, Rosman Sogard. I mean, he looks real special. What What is what is so good about his game? Winning, how many times has he won? He won once on, is that 19 years? Maybe? Yeah, he's won, he's won twice now. Twice, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's, there's obviously a hell of a lot that's impressive, but at 19 to have the maturity and the understanding um, of the game and how he wants to approach things is is so impressive. Um, and I think you're seeing it not only with Rasmus, but so many guys coming through at a young age now that the quality of information that's available before you get on tour is, is unbelievable. Um, so they're coming out and they're ready. And, you know, um, and I think, you know, I, I play a lot of other sports. We play tennis. We go, we've been go kart. We've done all sorts. He seems to be good at everything. <laughs> to the point, he's starting to annoy me. Yeah. You know, he beats me at everything. And it, but he's just he's just happened to choose golf. And I think he could have picked other sports as well that he would have excelled in. But uh, yeah, he's, he's he's very very impressive. Um, uh, a lot of natural talent, um, and he's a seriously impressive impressive driver. That's where, his, that's where his real strength is, yeah, the driving. Yeah, I, th- I think so, so far, yeah. I think that's, yeah, um, I feel pretty comfortable when he's got a driver in his hand, that's for sure. Yeah, long and straight. That's good. Straight. And, what's, and what's the next event for you? When you, uh, how's the rest of the year look for you? Yeah, we're back in, in Dubai, so we're playing those last two events in Dubai before before Christmas. So, uh, yeah, hopefully all is well and we get those played and maybe a few fans if we're lucky. Yeah, you'll be needing some sun by then as well after being locked down at home in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just just being in the house all the time. But 
Yeah, it makes us appreciate it a little bit more. Exactly. Exactly. Gives you a rest as well, doesn't it? Gives you a rest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it gives Rasmus a rest for a minute. <laughs> no comment. Come on. You can practice your tennis, maybe just in, indoors <laughs> against the wall. I know. I've, I've started taking lessons to give myself a chance for it. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Love it. Look, thanks so much for your time. I mean, I know we spoke before. We've been speaking for a while now about getting something done. Obviously, we've done this. And this is very much last minute notice, obviously, all the masters. But we are going to look to do some content with you as well at some point. I think it'd be really cool. We can have some good experiences of understanding your skill set, maybe how it helps me and Andy or golf yeah. or whatever. You can do some real cool content and just show how, just show how important the caddies are to these players. And as we say, if we can put anything into the amateurs so they can be their own caddy, I think you know it's, it's just going to be really good value to them. Yeah, hundred percent. That'd be great. Where can people find? Are you on social media? Where can people sort of follow you as well? Yeah, on Instagram. Um, so yeah, go under Smarty on there as well. Um, okay. So yeah, yeah, we'll put that. Well, uh, yeah, Smarty six oh nine is the one, isn't it? That, yeah, yeah. Okay, go and follow him. Lots I'm of sure keep your dating with the progress. Me. Tennis lessons. <laughs> yeah, any tennis coaches? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, Smarty. Well, look, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, all the best when you get back to Dubai. I'm sure you're going to have a good, uh, good couple of weeks. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Enjoy Bermuda. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you found some great value in it. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Also, let us know your feedback by leaving us a rating or review over on iTunes. And remember, if you want to go deeper and really improve your game, head over to meandmygolf.com and start your free trial and check out one of the many plans that are seeing incredible results. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to speaking to you next week.